Well, this morning we're continuing our series through the book of Daniel, and uh, we've got some more strange stuff this morning to read and to look at. So we're going to turn now to Daniel chapters 8 and 9. Now, these are very long chapters, so we're not going to read everything in them, but I'm going to read you enough that hopefully you get a gist of what happens in these chapters, and the words will be on the screen for you to read along. This is God's Word. In the third year of King Pelshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that already appeared to me. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns, standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against him, and none could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. He came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at him in great rage. I saw him attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering his two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him, and none could rescue the ram from his power. The goat became very great, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of heavens, and it threw down some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and the truth was thrown to the ground. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes is the first king. The four four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, A stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. 
it was beyond understanding. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O God, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. While I was still praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy sinny to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come and will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Do not panic. It might seem confusing, but we're going to work out what it's all about. And we're going to trust that God will speak to us through this part of the Bible. Let's pray and ask him to do that. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone but we live by every word that comes from your mouth. Lord, we pray this morning that as we look at this part of your word, that you would satisfy us with it, that it would nourish us today and sustain us for tomorrow and the days ahead. Oh Lord, give us open minds and open hearts to listen to and to receive what you have to say to us this morning. Help us, Lord, as we look at Daniel 8 and 9. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I find this very hard to believe whenever I read it in a newspaper, but in the year 2010, Italian people spent five billion pounds on fortune tellers. Isn't that incredible? 2010, if you remember it, it was the year of a great recession. The world seemed to be in chaos. And the Italian people turned to fortune tellers to try to see the future and what was coming up. And they spent five 
billion pounds doing it. Now, I wonder this morning, would any of you like to see into the future? I wonder right now, as you sit here in 2020, 10 years after the Italians spent five billion on fortune tellers, I wonder, would any of you here this morning like to see what's ahead? My guess is that all of us would like to see some of the things that are ahead, wouldn't we? We'd like to see whenever all of this COVID stuff is going to come to an end, wouldn't we? We'd like to see when we're going to be able to hug someone again or, or shake their hand. We'd love to know what's ahead in the future. But we don't know what's ahead. The future is not ours to know. Only God knows the future. The future is in his hands. But in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel gets a glimpse of the future. In a vision, God reveals to Daniel a glimpse of some of the things that are going to happen in about the 400 years after his lifetime. God shows Daniel the future. Um, whenever mobile phones start, started to become popular, there was a network called Orange. It was a very popular network with some people in Northern Ireland anyway. Uh, and anyway, the Orange Network, they had this slogan, and it said, the future is bright, the future is orange. And it's actually a very ironic statement because orange no longer exists. It is gone. The future was not bright for orange. And in the vision that God gives Daniel, the future he sees is not bright. It's not bright at all. Because in the vision that Daniel has in chapter 8, what Daniel sees are problems coming in the world. Problems in the world is what he sees in the vision that God gives him. Let's take a look at this vision. And just remember the rules from last week. Remember those rules. We need to look at the pictures. We need to let the Bible tell us what the pictures represent. And we need to look at the big picture to get the message. So let's have a look at this vision. The, the first thing that Daniel sees in this vision is a two-horned ram, a ram with, with two horns coming out. Daniel says, I watched the ram as he charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against him and none could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. So you've got this ram and he's charging all over the world and he's doing whatever he wants and no one can stop him. Now, what does this ram represent? Well, the Bible tells us, verse 20. It says, the two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. Daniel, God says, here's what's about to happen. The Medo-Persian Empire is about to rise in power. And it's going to take over a vast proportion of the globe. It's going to destroy people. It's going to bring war. It's going to ravage cities and towns and villages. There's going to be much bloodshed. Daniel, that's what's about to happen. War and fighting and blood as this ram charges across the world. And then Daniel sees a, another animal, a shaggy coat with one big predominant horn. And what does it say? Daniel says, it came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. This is a fast goat. This is a very, very fast shaggy goat. 
It doesn't even touch the ground. It's going so fast across the face of the, of the world. And then what does it say? Daniel says, I saw the goat attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering his two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him. None could rescue the ram from his power. So you had this ram, and then you got this goat, and the goat kills the ram. Who is the, ram? Who is the goat? Again, the Bible tells us, verse 21. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes is the first king. So Daniel, you see, once the Medo-Persians have arisen, there's going to come another empire, and they're going to cross the whole globe, and they're going to kill and destroy and bring war. It's the Greek empire, Daniel. The shaggy goat represents Greece. And they're going to take over from the Medo-Persians, and they're going to do it so quickly. They're going to conquer the world at such speed, it's going to be unbelievable to people. And it's amazing, because whenever we look back at the history books, Daniel had no idea who this was, but we actually see very clearly who this was. This was a man who you might not know about, but you'll definitely have heard his name, called Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was the king of Greece, and he was unrivaled in his military power and his ability. He took over from the Medo-Persian Empire, and he conquered vast proportions of the world. His empire stretched from Greece to North India. It was unbelievable. And Alexander the Great had conquered all of this by the time he was 32, when he actually died. Daniel, here's what's coming. More war, more fighting, more problems in the world. The shaggy goat is coming after the ram. And then Daniel says, out of the, the Greek empire, out of the shaggy goat, once the two horns have come off, sorry, once the big horns come off, there's going to be four horns arise. And these are four leaders, which again, you can look back at history and see after Alexander the Great, four leaders came out, out of the Greek, Greek empire. And then Daniel says, but, but after these four horns, there's going to be one horn. And this one horn, well, he's different from all the others that have been. Daniel says that this one horn grew in part to the south and to the east and towards the beautiful land. Daniel, unlike the ram and unlike the goat, this horn is heading for Jerusalem. This horn is going to go to the land that I had given to my people. This horn is going to go and bring destruction there. Daniel, it's not just that the future there's going to be problems for the world. In the future, there's going to be problems for my people. And again, in the vision, you see what this horn is going to do. It's going to attack God's people and trample on them. Verse 10, it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. It's going to fight and attack God's people. It's going to set itself up as being God himself. It's going to go to the land that God had given his people. It's going to go into Jerusalem. And this horn is going to proclaim that he is the new God that he's the one to be worshipped. 
Verse 11, it set itself up to be greater than the prince of the host. It's going to end worship of God in Jerusalem. It's going to take away the daily sacrifice. It's going to desecrate God's temple. Verse 11, it took away the daily sacrifice from him and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. And it was going to be successful. And it was going to get rid of God's word from God's land. Verse 12, it prospered in everything it did and truth was thrown to the ground. Daniel is so troubled by this. There's going to be a ruler who comes who's going to go into Jerusalem, abominate the temple, take away God's word, bring an end to the sacrifices, trample on God's people, and declare that he's God. Daniel had no idea who this was. But again, whenever we look back at the history books, we see very clearly who this was. Here's a a reference from the Britannica Encyclopedia. And this is the horn who went to Jerusalem and did all this. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes. And you see that word Epiphanes, he he called himself that. And if you look at the Greek, what it means is God manifest. This Greek king said, I am God. It's the fulfillment of what Daniel saw. And what did this Greek king do? Well, again, the encyclopedia tells us. As a ruler, he was best known for his encouragement of Greek culture and institutions. His attempts to suppress Judaism brought on the War of the Maccabees. The worship of Yahweh and all of the Jewish rites were forbidden on pain of death. In the temple, an altar of Zeus Olympias was erected and sacrifices were to be made at the feet of an idol in the image of the king. Daniel doesn't know who this ruler is, but history tells us who it is. It was this man, Antiochus Epiphanes. Daniel sees what's coming in the next few hundred years after his death. And all he sees in chapter 8 are problems in the world. Problem after problem after problem, war after war after war. It's a troubling picture that God gives Daniel. And what I love is just the reality of Daniel's response to this. What I love is the reality of of how he responds to, to seeing all of these future problems that are coming. Look what he says. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. What I I saw, it it made me feel sick. It made me feel sick in my stomach. I I was exhausted by it. I I felt debilitated by it. I had to lie in bed. I couldn't get out of it. The future I saw was frightening and scary and troubling. And it floored me. And it didn't just floor him. It didn't just trouble him. He was absolutely appalled by it. He couldn't understand it. Why was God going to let this happen? Look at the end of it. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Why was God going to let this happen? What was God thinking? Let this horn go to God's land and destroy his people. 
to let war after war after war roll on. He couldn't understand it. He was appalled by it. He felt ill when he thought about the future. What does he do? Well, he can't do much about it. He can't change the future. He is not God. So what he does is he gets on with things in the present. He got up and he went about the king's business, we're told. Maybe this morning as you sit here, although you don't have a crystal ball, and although you can't see the future, maybe you can anticipate some of the things that are going to happen in the coming months and years. Maybe as you think about the future, you're, you're troubled by it. You think about the massive wave of unemployment that's, that's going to come very soon. You think about the taxes that are going to rise in the coming generations to cover all of the furlough that's been paid out over the past number of months. You look at these restrictions and, and you wonder, are they ever going to come to an end? And it troubles you that they might not. Maybe you're an older person here this morning. And you realize that you maybe don't have as long left in front of you as you do behind you. And the thought of living with these restrictions for the rest of your life perhaps troubles you. Maybe as you think about the future, you can see some of the problems that are coming and they trouble you. And maybe you relate to Daniel. If that's you this morning, I have some really, really good news. And the good news is this. It's that in these chapters, Daniel didn't just see problems coming in the world. No, Daniel also saw the promises that God had made in his word. He didn't just see the problems in the world. He saw the promises that God made in his word. And this, this made all the difference to Daniel. At the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is doing his daily Bible reading. Uh, we know Daniel's a man of daily prayer. We saw that in the earlier chapters. He was a man who prayed three times a day, as the children's song taught you in Sunday school. We know he's a man of prayer, but he was also a man of the Word. He was a man who read whatever portions of God's word he had. And in chapter, in verses one and two of chapter nine, we see that he's reading the book of Jeremiah, which is hard going, but he's reading it. And he sees something in it. Have a look there at verses one and two. It says, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now, maybe you're reading that and you're thinking, what's he on about there? If you remember from Daniel chapter 1, Daniel is in Babylon. He's in exile. He used to live in Jerusalem. He used to live in the land that God had given to his people. But God's people didn't obey God, and God took them out of the land. And Daniel is now living in the land of Babylon. And he's been there since he was a teenager, and he's now an old man, probably in his 80s. 
And as Daniel opens up the Bible, he reads the promise of God. My people will be in Babylon for 70 years, and then I'll bring them back. My people will only be in exile for 70 years, God says, and then I promise that I am going to bring them back to the land that I had given them. Daniel reads God's word, and he sees God's promise. And even though Daniel can't understand how on earth they're going to get back to the land, because if the Medes and Persians have taken over, why would they let them go? He doesn't understand how it's going to happen. But Daniel reads this promise, and Daniel believes this promise. And then what does he do? He prays. He talks to God, and he asks God to fulfill the promise he made. We didn't read the whole prayer, but if you read it at home, you'll see that. He rehearses the people's history. He rehearses why they were brought out of Jerusalem. And then he rehearses the promise that God had given. And he says, Lord, fulfill what you've promised. Will you do what you've said you're going to do? Will you bring us back to the land? Daniel prayed and he asked God to fulfill his promise. As you think about the future... Maybe it's scary. Maybe you feel unsettled by it. Maybe you see problems in the world in the years ahead. But if we are going to face the future, then what we need to do is also see the promises that God gives us in His Word. And we need to believe those promises. And we need to trust God to fulfill those promises. And what we see at the end of Daniel chapter 9 in these very complicated verses that we read in verses 24 to 27, there's lots of interpretations about what these verses mean exactly. But did you see the big picture? The last thing that Daniel sees after he prays is this. He sees that God keeps the promises of his word as we experience the problems of the world. Let me say that again because that's important. And this is actually the takeaway of today. This is the one thing I want you to go away with tattooed on your mind. God keeps the promises of His Word as we experience the problems of the world. You see, in these last verses, Daniel sees lots of problems. He sees there's going to be wars. He sees Jerusalem's going to be destroyed again after being rebuilt. He sees that another person like Antiochus Epiphanes is going to rise up and, and set himself up in the temple again. History is going to repeat itself. There's going to be problem after problem after problem in these last verses. But there's also going to be the fulfillment of God's promises. Because right in the middle of these verses, Gabriel, the angel, the messenger of God, says, listen, Daniel, you see as all of this is going on, the Holy One is going to come. The Anointed One is going to arrive. Daniel, in the 400 years or so after your death, there's going to be all of these problems. The world is going to look like a mess, but God is going to fulfill His greatest promise 
He's going to send the rescuer. He's going to send the one who's going to die for sin. He's going to send the one who's going to save people from sin and give them eternal life and make a way for all people to come into the family of God. The Holy One is going to come, Daniel. God is going to fulfill his greatest promise in the midst of all of the problems. This morning, that's what we as God's people need to grasp. As we look to the future, as we worry about the future, as we fear the future, as we feel unsettled by the future, this is the thing we need to grasp. In the middle of all of the problems, God will keep his promises. Let me try and explain why, why that's going to help us. Let me try and explain why it's going to help us if we can really get this today and take this out with us tomorrow and in the coming weeks and months and years. Let me try to help you understand why if we can just get this, it's going to help us as we worry about the future. I want you to imagine that there are two women of the same age. Okay, they're the same age. They're from exactly the same background. They have exactly the same temperament. They have exactly the same educational level. They are identical in every way. In fact, if you want, you can imagine them being identical twins. So you have these two women, okay? And what you're going to do is you're going to give them a job on an assembly line. And you're going to give them exactly the same instructions. You're to take part A, slot it into part B, and pass it on to that person over there. And you're to do this for eight hours a day, every single day. So two women, exactly the same, doing the same job, which is pretty monotonous and pretty boring. You put them in identical rooms, at identical heats, everything is exactly the same in both of these women's lives. It's boring work, but this is what they've been asked to do. The first woman you tell her that at the end of the year, you're going to pay her 15,000 pounds. But the second woman, you tell her you're going to pay her 15 million pounds. That is the only difference. One's going to get paid 15,000 and one's going to get paid 15 million. Can you imagine the difference knowing that makes as they work. The woman who's going to get 15,000 struggles. The woman who's going to get 15,000 complains. The woman who's going to get 15,000 is worried about the future and if she's going to be able to pay the bills and feed her family. But the one who's going to get 15 million thinks her job is fine, better than fine. Because she knows that at the end of the year, she's going to get the 15 million pounds. Folks, imagine if you could just believe that God would fulfill all of his promises to you. Imagine if you could just grasp that. That as you worry about the future, as you face the future of uncertainty, imagine if you could just grasp that whatever happens, God is going to keep his promises to you. Imagine that went from your head to your heart and you actually believed that. 
Would that not transform how you face the future? Would that not transform how you feel about today as you face an unknown future? Would that not change everything? Imagine this morning you believed God's promise that he would provide everything you need. You might be sitting here worried about losing your job. You might be sitting here this morning worried about finance and the years to come because of COVID-19. And you sit here and, and it is a worry. Of course it is. It's a real worry. But what difference would it make this morning if you could actually believe that God will provide what you need? What difference would that make? Would it not ease your fear a little bit? Would it not give you confidence as you face an unknown future? What if you really believe this morning God's promise that he'll never leave you or forsake you? As you think about going into lockdown, potentially down the line in years to come, who knows what's going to happen? Would that not bring you hope that you'll not be alone? But he'll be with you? What if you could believe God's promise that he will give wisdom to those who ask for it? In the days ahead, maybe the thing that panics you is you just don't know how you're going to make decisions as the world changes. What if this morning you believe that God would lead you and guide you and give you wisdom if you ask him? I am not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this is easy to do. But folks, let me ask you something. As you look back on your life, has God ever broken any of his promises to you? Or has he always been faithful? Has he always done what he said he's going to do? We don't know the future. It's very uncertain. But I want to encourage you this morning that in the problems of the world, to see the promises in God's word and to cling to those and to believe those. I want to finish this morning by making a very obvious point and by making a very open invitation. And the obvious point is this. It's that God's promises are for God's people. If I write a check, I write it to a person and I give it to that person and they can cash it. And this morning, what I, one, the obvious point I want to make is that God's promises are for God's people. So if you're here this morning and, and you're not one of God's people, then it's really important that you do not expect to receive the promises of God. All the way through the Bible, God only makes promises to his people. God works all things for the good of who? Those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. God works all things for the good of his people. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, only those who believe in him, will have eternal life. The promise is for his people. This morning, if you're here 
and you do not know God and you're not one of his people. Please do not presume that the promises of God are for you. This morning, if you're not one of God's people, this is bad news for you this morning. The promises are not for you. But there's great news this morning. If you hear me preach, if I give you bad news, I normally like to give you good news after. And the good news is that this morning, if you're here, and you're not one of God's people, you're invited to become one. Maybe this morning you're like a, an orphan out in the street in the cold looking in at God's family. Well, this morning what I want you to know is that God has opened the door wide. He's opened the door wide for you and he's beckoning you to come in and enjoy the warmth of his love and care. Jesus has died so that you can be part of the family. This morning, if you're not, if you're not one of God's people, this morning, if you know that God's promises have not been written for you, this morning you're invited in, invited to join the family. All of his promises, they're, they're wrapped up like gifts. He's ready to give them to you. And all he says is come in with nothing. Come in with empty hands. Embrace me as your father and enjoy everything I have for you. For those of us who are God's people, let's trust his promises. For those of you who are not, come through the door, embrace him as your father, and receive everything he has for you. Let's pray together. Almighty God, in this world, there are so many people who break their promises to us. They say one thing and they do another, or they make a promise and they don't fulfill it. But Lord, you're not like that. You fulfill every promise that you've given to your people in your word. And Lord, I pray this morning for those of us who are your children, that in the troubling days ahead, in the middle of the problems of this world, that we would cling to the promises that you've made in your word and that we would see those fulfilled in our lives. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who's not one of your children, reassure them that the door is open. Reassure them that Jesus has made the way for them to become one of your family. And Lord, draw them to yourself that they would know that they are recipients or can be recipients of your promises too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.